This recording is a service of the Hair of the Blog, specifically designed and directed to people who have visual, physical, learning, or language challenges to reading normal printed materials. Podcast of audio reading is is provided by the Hair of the Blog. Thank you for joining us. I'm Kevin. Follow me at Kevin K. Diddy on all social media. Today I'll be reading excerpts from GQ magazine, July 2018. Disclaimer. The following is a fan-based inspired reading and recording of magazines and periodicals. GQ, Gentleman Quarterly, GQ Style, are owned by Condé Nast. In compliance of the Fair Use Act, please support the official release of GQ Magazine when it is released on newsstands. Intro. Podcasts allow you to listen to audio content wherever it suits you. Commuting, at the gym, on the train, going to work. Time shift is a term also used when listening to podcasts and other audio content. Time shift allows you to consume content when and where you want, as opposed to live events, for example, television. Going off script here, this was an idea I had recently and noticed that audiobooks have become extremely popular. And I thought to myself, if I could sit here and consume content via audiobooks, do they have the same platform for magazines? And a lot of them do not. There are a couple of sites through, through a couple of libraries that do magazines on tape or magazine recordings, and I feel like this is something that people are not capitalizing on going back to the time shift uh, time shift talk if you could consume a magazine without actually having to pick it up and go about your day wouldn't you do it as opposed to skimming skimming the magazine reading a couple of paragraphs and looking at the photos and the photography GQ magazine specifically is very visual and as beautiful as the photography is and the styles and the people that the photos are being taken of, such as the musicians, actors, actresses, comedians, people in the entertainment world, you can get the visual by going on a website, by going on Pinterest, by going to Google. So the photo aspect has always been has always been included and even some articles online have also been included but people people of my generation it's hard to read sit down and read a, a full article everybody's got ADD these days and I think now the best way to counter that is to do these articles in the form of audio. 
So please enjoy the excerpts I'm going to be reading from the GQ magazine. It's the latest one, July 2018, with Zayn Malik on the cover. Thank you. How do you explain Zayn? This GQ article is by Carrie Patan, a staff writer for The New Yorker and a contributor to GQ magazine. The 25-year-old British singer is deeply, maddingly, and almost trollingly enigmatic, and that cultivated mystery, along with his disdain for the standard rules of superstardom, is probably what puts him on the shortlist for coolest human alive. On a recent Friday night, though, he dropped his guard and spilled his guts to carry baton. There are exactly two places in New York on a Friday night where Zayn Malik can smoke Marlboro Lights as liberally and openly as he pleases. Unencumbered by gawkers or the city's increasingly draconian anti-smoking laws. The first is Zayn Malik's Soho apartment, where he spends the majority of his time zoning out, reading books, listening to music, and partaking in the herb as he says. Marijuana. The second is the Mary A. Wallen, a 172-foot-long restored tanker ship turned non-profit hangout spot that is docked off the shore of Red Hook, Brooklyn. The ship is closed for business after 6 p.m., but tonight its leader, a hardy blonde ship preservationist named Carolina, has agreed to keep it open late to accommodate us. No crowds, a few plastic chairs, and a gentle gentle littling surface that is basically a giant ashtray. There's just one problem. The temperature on deck is decreasing rapidly with the setting sun, and Zane, the 25-year-old former British boy band member, current solo popish star, an all-around inscrutable avatar of contemporary celebrity has arrived with nothing on his person but a lighter, backpack, and an iPhone. No jacket on his rail-thin frame, just a pair of charcoal skinny skinny jeans, distressed Pink Floyd t-shirt, a bright pink beanie that obscures his new flower skull tattoo, or tattoo as Zane pronounces it. He looks so modernly cool, blending a hip-hop swagger with a punk rock edge that he should receive a cut from Urban Outfitters every time someone makes a purchase. He is the only man whose Disney Princess Long eyelashes seem to bolster his machismo rather than diminish it. Nobody this dreamy has ever bothered to check the weather to see if he should grab a jacket before leaving the house. Through chattering teeth, he rejects multiple offers of blankets. It's all good, he insists, ripping faintly after taking a swig of his Peroni. I'm cool. Still, Carolina avails us of the ship's warmer galley. I might have a cigarette first, Zane asks, as though he needs permission, gesturing toward the other side of the ship. Over there, his assistant Taryn, a young woman with French braided pigtails, that make her look 
more like a high school soccer player than someone designated to manage the everyday logistics of a notoriously slippery superstar's life. She is the custodian of his pack, dolling out individual cigarettes to Zane at 20-minute at intervals. But Carolina assures us Zane will not have to stay outside to smoke his cigarette. She'll let us smoke below decks on the condition that Zane provide her one of his Marlboros and permission to snap a photograph. She promises she won't post it until after the story runs. Uh, yeah, Zane replies. Sounding sincerely surprised that he is the one who has, who has to answer a question that was directed at him. A steely detachment from life's mundane logistical concerns is part of almost every celebrity's existence, but it is the core of Zane's being. This character trait has ruinous potential, but it also means he gets to live out his life exactly how he pleases. And it means that he doesn't have to express a single word or hint of desire in order for the conditions around him to rearrange. To his liking and comfort, there's a hapless Peter Pan quality to it that makes it tough to hold against him. We settled around the table in the 70s style kitchen on the boat. It's 15 degrees warmer down here in private. Zane instantly appears relieved, his shoulders unclenching, and his brow deferring. He stops shivering. He's in a womb-like space, drinking beer and smoking cigarettes, and seems probably and unexpectedly happy. Thanks, he says quietly and earnestly in Carolina's direction as she seals off the door behind us. A couple of times I tried to quit, but I just like smoking cigs. Simple as that. There is a major conundrum in Zane's life, which is that he may have, that he may have been constitutionally incapable of being a star. He tells me so almost immediately. I don't work well in group situations with loads of people staring at me. And when you say star, everyone wants you to be this kind of character that owns a room where it's overly arrogant or confident. I'm not that guy, he says, so I don't want to be a star. Zane seems to aspire to be the soul of Prince or some cult 90 skate punk figure, but is trapped in the trajectory of a Justin Timberlake. A decade ago, someone like Zane would not have become the chosen member of a band like One Direction. The chosen member is the boy band graduate whose solo career evolves and hurdles into grown-up relevance, ultimately overshadowing the band's legacy. Until recently, you could spot a chosen member from a mile away. He was unequivocally the best dancer and the one and the one the most girls wanted to bring home to their parents. But Zane never fit the mold of a chosen member. From the day One Direction formed on the UK show The X Factor in 2010, he was cast as a smoldering background foil to the eager-to-please Harry Styles and Liam Payne. His energy and his dance moves were muted. He presented as the quiet, disillusioned one. But in the past five years or so, it has become acceptable, necessary even, for a young pop star to show some edge. Thanks to the social media-fueled, ever-intensifying quest for authenticity, real or feigned, we no longer expect our most famous musicians to be toothless and virginal robots. Now, we demand that they show a certain degree of lustiness, insatiability, 
and anti-heroism. The Weeknd scored a number one hit with an elaborately coded song about a cocaine binge, and then followed it up with another number one hit, this one explicitly referencing a cocaine binge. Lana Del Rey's entire aesthetic revolves around a kind of narcoticized death wish, and Taylor Swift spent her last album desperately trying to convince us that she really is villainous. Even Disney's babyest face of pop princesses, Selena Gomez, is getting mileage off her demons, playing a girl-interrupted-style heroine and rocking a hospital bracelet in a music video. Face tattoos are basically required for entry onto the Billboard Hot 100 these days. Squeaky clean is no more. And yet, even for the most tortured seeming of these artists, there's still a fierce expectation that they play the game. Mild drug habits or mental illnesses are perfectly acceptable. So long as someone is willing to write catchy songs about those tendencies and then later gussy them up for arena audiences and gamely field jokes from talk show hosts. Even Justin Bieber, the poster child for our current era of troubled pop stars, is always just one phone call away with his pastor from being able to be quiet with his demons and pop lock on demand. Zayn seems like a perfect avatar for this new generation of bruised pop heartthrobs, but he's the only one of his cohorts who can back it up with a sincerely jaded disposition and an unpredictable way of being. He's the only one who is staunchly unwilling to play the game. You will not find Zayn cheesing around with a random group of people for someone's Instagram story at Coachella, nor will you find Zayn learning the latest viral dance move with Ellen DeGeneres. When he released his solo album, Mind of Mine, two years ago, he opted out of touring altogether, surely pissing off a bunch of emotionally and financially invested parties. And although he promises to be more public-facing this time around, he insists he will tour. He's still removed from the album cycle content churn. Even the behind-the-scenes video that accompanied his new single fails to actually take anyone behind the scenes. It's just a song playing over some B-roll. I guess the cameraman didn't get too much good footage. Zane says on the boat. I might have been running away from him a bit. When I ask him why he failed to show up at the Met Gala a couple of days earlier, he almost chokes on a cigarette smoke as he, as he exhales. He went to the Met Gala once, in 2016, and that experience symbolized everything he detests about being famous, being a famous person, and the litany of coercion and artifice that someone in his position experiences. I did go, but I didn't go there to be like, yo, take me serious. He remembers, I was taking the piss. I went there as my favorite Mortal Kombat character, Jax. He continues, the Met Gala is not necessarily anything that I ever knew about or was about, but my former stylist would say to me, this is really good for you to do, and no matter how strong you are mentally, you can always be swayed to do certain things. Now, it's not something I would go to. I'd rather be sitting at my house doing something productive than dressing up in really expensive clothes and being photographed on a red carpet. To do the self-indulgent 
Look at me. I'm amazing thing on the red carpet. It's not me. He Here, Zane catches himself, probably realizing that this might register as a diss of Gigi Hadid. The 23-year-old supermodel he's been in an on-again, off-again relationship with for two years. The supermodel, who very much seemed to enjoy dressing up in really expensive clothes and being photographed on the red carpet days earlier. I get it. And I understand that people gain enjoyment from it, he says. I ask if he followed along with the coverage from his couch. No, no, he says, and pauses. G stole the night. The stained glass on her dress, everyone else had just put a cross on. When I asked Zane if he has any confidants in the industry, he shakes his head vigorously. No, he says. I don't ever want to cross wires with other people too much. I just want to see the world through my eyes. Zane grew up with three sisters. I was outnumbered, he says, and is still surrounded by women ensuring that there's a high level of exasperated but fond maternal energy swirling at all times. Blood relatives and the Hadids, particularly Gigi's mother, Yolanda, who seems to have taken on a Chris Jennerian role in his life, make up much of his inner circle today. We get on. She's really fucking cool. She's a Capricorn. She's the same star sign as me. He recently parted ways with his high-profile manager. His best friend is a younger cousin. I'm not in the mix, he says. I'm outside the mix. This kind of stubborn non-participation, of course, is a reaction to the years Zane spent being in a mix that was not to his liking. When he was a kid, Growing up in the northern working-class city of Bradford, singing was just one part of an aimless but all-consuming creative impulse. He never thought he was much of a singer, until one day, the choir leader at his performing arts school praised his voice and suggested that he try out for Britain's premier vocal competition show. Zane's mom had to drag him from his bed at 4 a.m. to attend the audition, where he broke from the typical pop fair with a rendition of Mario's Let Me Love You. After his X Factor audition, there was an exchange never aired in which head judge Simon Cowell probed Baby Zane. You know, with all of these online platforms, why? Why haven't you ever put out anything prior to this? Zane remembers Cowell asking him. Zane seemed the type, after all, a soft-spoken and artistically gifted teen who liked to sing alone in his bedroom and tinkered with rudimentary song recording equipment. I didn't necessarily think my stuff would be seen amongst the millions of people who put their stuff online. So I went with X Factor at that age, he says now. Like any fickle teenager, Zane, just did it for the fun, to see what would happen. The day that Zane auditioned, he was, among a many, he was among many aspiring solo artists rejected by the judges. But five of the young singers were cobbled together as a boy band in a later segment. Thus was born One Direction and a rabid fandom that British people love to com compare to Beatlemania. A craze so fierce and massive that it generated global synchronized flash mobs and fanfiction authors who reportedly scored six-figure book deals. 
In an instant, Zane was thrust into a star-making boot camp, fast-tracked to an uncontrollable type of notoriety without being given the opportunity to consider alternatives. It's no secret that Zane didn't love One Direction's sound or his bandmates. My vision didn't necessarily always go with what was going on within the band, he says. There was something so earnest, so wholesomely dweeby about the whole thing. It wasn't cool, and Zane didn't particularly enjoy being dragged around the world to look like an epic dork during the prime of his youth. When he split off in 2015, Zane finally got to do all the things he hadn't been able to do in one direction. Dye his hair, grow his beard, sing about sex. But he was also introduced to a fresh army of puppeteers trying to guide him, and he felt disoriented, adrift. The only way to go, the only way to go ground himself was to resist the pull of anyone's expectations and answer only to Zane. He'd spent the he spent the five years taking direction and had become allergic to it. There are plenty of cliched expressions about how toxic and stifling freedom can be, and Zane experienced many of them when he went solo. I didn't really like many like like make any friends from the band. I just didn't do it. It's not something that I'm afraid to say. I definitely have issues trusting people, he says. When he was living in Los Angeles aimlessly, he fell in with a crowd of industry people. Producers, musicians, tailors, stylists, managers. Them kind of things, he says. It got too crazy. I just got too much into the party scene. Just going out all the time. And I was too distracted. So he left L.A. permanently and moved to New York earlier this year as a way to bring himself back down to earth. There's not much that breaks Zane out of his conditioned state of detachment to speak in frenzied paragraphs, paragraph-long monologues. But one of those topics is the value of the paparazzi. The paparazzi who have been trailing him for years and recently every time he sets foot near Gigi's NoHo apartment feeding the endless tabloid speculation about the state of their relationship. The pops used to piss Zane off until he realized there That's my promo, he says. I come outside, they take photos. He gets to quietly remind people that he exists and get photographed looking like the second coming of Johnny Depp, leaving the apartment of one of the most gorgeous women in the world without doing a thing. They stay outside and do all the work, he says. You can't get pissed off about it and be like, yo, this is a hindrance on my life. Or you can use it for your own benefit and be like, well, if they're going to take the photos, then let them. You've got to earn your dollar and I've got to earn mine. Which is to say that just because Zane loathes the cornball industry churn doesn't mean he needs to surrender his relevance. Zane represents an era in which underground cool and mass market Calabasian style popularity have collapsed into one another. He operates on a plane where celebrity is predicted chiefly on relevance and intrigue, and Zane, with his equally illustrious girlfriend, his brooding glare, and his, fo and his following of millions, 
has about as much relevance and intrigue as anybody. He is both a casualty and a beneficiary of his uniquely modern form of celebrity. In running from his stardom, he's only fueling it. Running a bit further, he recently bought a farm in rural Pennsylvania on the advice of Yolanda Hadid, who also has a farm there. The farm? Cool. The state of Pennsylvania? Cool. If you haven't picked up on it for yourself yet, Zane loves the word cool. He loves it so much that he uses it more than 43 times over the course of our conversation. And now that Zane likes to go to his farm and visit the Hadids, he and Gigi even have a horse together named Cool. He's getting things going on the farm, but already there are crops of cherries, tomatoes, and cucumbers. He likes to ride his ATVs. Sometimes he and Gigi will go at the same time, and she'll ride a horse, like Cool, while he watches. I suppose now is the time to dispense with the rest of the intel I gleaned from Zayn about his relationship with Gigi Hadid, which was a less sensitive subject than I had anticipated. The two met at the end of 2015 at a party. Which pie? Zayn will disclose. Zayn will not disclose, but suffice it to say it was a cool pie. And just days later, Zayn learned she'd broken up with Joe Jonas. He reached out to her and asked her to dinner at the Bowery Hotel. And thus was born a couple that will go down in history as one of the most iconic zeitgeisty pairings of all time. A couple whose images I will show my grandchildren to prove that the world was better in my day. All the gossip about their relationship being an opportunistic setup by their respective management is bullshit, Zane says. If a relationship is for your career, you can fucking walk out the door. No way. See you later. Despite the dramatic announcement of their split a couple of months ago, Zane and Gigi are very much still close, as evidenced by myriad photos of him leaving her apartment or kissing her on the street. Zane speaks about Gigi in a purely misty-eyed, worshipful tone that telegraphs he may be atoning for something. I'm really thankful that I met her, he says. He uses the term we in the present tense quite a bit. We go to the farm. We have horses. The time he actually rode a horse with Gigi, he says, I look like a complete idiot and she looked like a complete professional. We're still really good friends and we're still in contact, he says. No bad blood, he laughs. Taylor Swift. We're adults. We don't need to put a label on it. Make it something for people's expectations. To hear Zane tell it, Gigi is the hyper-organized, clear-headed, and positive counterweight to his disposition, which can dip into a vacant or negative state. She helped him reset his attitude when he was releasing his first solo album, Partying Too Hard. I had a very negative outlook on things. That might have been adolescence or testosterone or whatever the fuck was running through my body at the time, he says. She helped me to look at things from a positive angle. As Zane heads into his new album cycle, Gigi has been a font 
of support and organizational, organizational heft. He says she's especially good with dates, which I miss here as good with debts. She's good with debts. You're in, you're in debt? No, no, dates. She doesn't handle my finances yet, he says. We'll get to that eventually. When Zayn Malik went solo, he dropped his last name. The monomimic Zayn took on a potency and directness that enabled him to break free from the chains of boy band drudgery and lameness. Zayn. It's a single syllable that conjures a vaporous sexuality and a moodiness that blurs the line between contemplative and blank. You can imagine the black and white commercial for Luau de Zayn. In the years since he dropped his last name, the word Zane has also become, to insiders, an equally potent verb. To Zane means to be within someone's reach one moment and then completely disappear the next without any explanation. Poof. To be Zaned is to witness a French exit so aggressive that it almost has a supernatural quality. I know this because it happened to me. We emerge from the ship's galley. And as I prepare to launch into more conversation, he asked Carolina where he could find where he could find the toilets. She pointed him toward a porta potty on dry land, and Taryn wordlessly followed behind him. Obviously accustomed to this ritual, before I could get my bearings, he was zipping off into the parking lot adjacent to the tanker, no doubt scurrying home to his fortress of solitude and cigarette smoke in Soho. I'd been zaned. We were supposed to hang out the following week, and I patiently waited for him to reach out, but I knew that he never would. And as much as I'd like to be the exception to the laws of Zane's nature, I get it. Who among us have never fantasized about blowing off pesky professional obligations we deem useless? Zane, driven by a spirit that is part self-destruction, part self-preservation, part youthful punk contrarianism, actually has the balls to live that fantasy. It's self-absorbed, immature, and unprofessional. I'd be offended if I didn't think it was so fucking cool. I hope you guys enjoyed that article. Getting Zane's, just going off of, uh, off of what we just read. Zane is the equivalent of an Irish goodbye. So I guess he does that a lot. I think everybody does an Irish goodbye every once in a while. When you don't, when there's too many people in a room and you don't want to say goodbye to everybody, just kind of dip away, go to the bathroom, and then next thing you know, out the door. Well, I hope you guys enjoy this. Uh, I'm going to be doing more of these in the upcoming weeks, so love to hear your feedback at Kevin K. Diddy and at Hair of the Blog. Thanks, guys.